0: Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today we'll be continuing our series, Transforming. We hope you enjoy. Good morning. The twins say hi. They are almost seven months old, and... um, I've got a story I'll tell you about these photos uh, later on in the message. Before we get there, um, we've got a big, big event coming up at the church that we has become an annual event. It's called Carols by Candlelight, and it's Lindsay told you about the women's Christmas dessert, but this is another event to sort of usher in the Christmas season, and it's on Wednesday night, December 7th, and I hope you will come. I hope you'll come. Not only that, I hope you'll get excited about it and invite somebody to come with you, because the truth is, uh, while the whole world may not celebrate Christmas, they all like Christmas and the things of Christmas, and I'll clue you in on a, a little secret Uh, As we tell the Christmas story, which is one of the things that happens at night, it's going to be the same story as last year, exact same story. But don't let that be the reason that you don't come. Let that be the reason that you do come, because here in a world that's full of chaos and change and everything's in upheaval, and what we do on Christmas is we show people that God never changes, and what he did when Jesus came to the earth is a one time deal. Jesus doesn't need to come and die on the cross for us again. It's already been done. And so we revisit that familiar story at Christmas time. And this event is full of music and lights and camel rides and pony rides for kids. But it's not just a children's event, it's for everybody. So consider this your invitation. You are welcome to come, but it's coming up sooner than you would think. So get that on your calendar for Friday night, uh, December 7th. And it's sort of open house style from 5 to 8. But then we. Um, We do sort of stop down and tell the Christmas story with Caroling at 6.30, if you want to aim for that time, right out on the piazza. So we're excited about that. Now, this morning I want to read to you from a letter that was written by a guy named Edward Winslow to his friend in England in the year 1621. In part of this letter he says, "...our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling so that we might, after a more special manner, rejoice together." After we had gathered the fruit of our labors, they four in one day killed as much fowl as with a little help beside, served the company almost a week. At which time, amongst other recreations, we exercised our arms. I'm not sure if that was football or boxing, but exercised our arms. Many of the Indians coming amongst us, and among the rest, their greatest King Massasoit, with some 90 men. Who for three days we entertained and feasted and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. And so that was the first harvest festival meal that we now celebrate as Thanksgiving. They didn't call it Thanksgiving at that time, but the reason they were giving thanks in that way was, I don't know if you know, when the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower, there were 103 on board. They landed late in the fall, uh, too late to plant any crops. So imagine landing in Massachusetts in November, and you have no permanent settlements, and you have to survive the winter, and half half their crew died. So by the spring, there were only 50 left. And then they had a bumper crop that year. And by fall, they sort of knew we're going to make it. And so they gave thanks to God in this, in this celebration. That's a pretty good reason to thank God. I'm still alive. But that was their circumstance at that time. But now look at this. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that we as Christians are to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God for you. So we've got this kind of paradox set up because the Bible is full of this exhortation to us to give thanks. Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. And so now we have this question as we round the corner into the most wonderful time of the year and everybody this week will be saying happy Thanksgiving, but, but what, if, what if I'm not happy? What if the circumstances of my life right now are difficult and sticky And I don't feel happy inside. Can I still be thankful? Maybe for you this year was a year where you suffered loss. Could have been the loss of a loved one. Could have been the loss of a job. Could have been the loss of a a friendship or a relationship. Maybe in your mind the future is just filled with anxiety and you have no idea what to expect. And you just say, I'm, just, I'm not happy, but here's the Bible telling me to be thankful. And so over here, we've got the circumstances of life. And over here, we've got the Bible saying, be thankful in all circumstances. And how do I bring those two together? Which is actually the task of the Christian mind, you know. That we take these things that we're told that we should believe over here. And over here are my feelings. And I have to bring those strands together and reconcile them somehow. So is that really possible? Is it really possible? Or when it comes to thankfulness, if I'm living bummer circumstances in my life, do I just have to suck it up, put on a happy face for the next 45 days and and wing it through Christmas? Or is there a thankfulness that the Bible describes that actually goes beyond my circumstances? And can I be thankful despite what I'm going through? That's the questions that we want to look at this morning. So to do this, I want to offer you five thoughts on being thankful in the midst of hard circumstances. And this is thought number one. If terrible things happening in the world were a reason not to praise God, God would never be praised. If terrible things happening in the world were a reason not to praise God, God would never be praised. Because the world's a broken place. The world is full of uh, what Romans 8 calls um, corruption. Uh, It says that the that the creation is waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed because the creation wants to be set free from the bondage to corruption that it is in. You know what else gets corrupted? Your food. You buy it at the grocery store and you bring it home and you have to unload the bags and put it in the fridge because if you just leave it there on the counter, things that need to be refrigerated will very quickly go bad and they'll spoil. And, And even after a few days in the fridge, if you don't eat it in time, it gets bad, and you've got to throw it out. It's, it's not useful anymore. So maybe you put it in the freezer right away to preserve it, but you know that if you keep food in the freezer even for too long, it gets freezer burned, and you, you, you can't cook it back to what it should be before, and you just got to discard it and get rid of it. And so that's the picture of the world that we live in. Because of sin and because of corruption, things are constantly breaking down, and terrible things happen all the time. And we don't want to focus on that. We don't even sometimes want to admit that because we don't want to be negative people. And we don't want to be pessimistic. And I even know people in this day and age who say, I've just quit watching the news. I just don't watch the news. It's, it's too depressing. It's too sad. I just can't take it. And I, I get it. At some point, we've got to distract ourselves with whatever else is on Netflix. But I think it, that, that Christians, to some point, need to be the ultimate realists about what's going on in the world, including the suffering parts. Because if we're not, what happens is then when suffering happens to our friends, we can't empathize, we can't relate. And when suffering happens to us in our own lives, it knocks us off our feet. And it shouldn't, because the truth is suffering in this world is a reality. Think what Jesus said. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Then he didn't stop there. He said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So the fact that we as Christians call Jesus our Savior implies that there's something negative that we need to be saved from. The fact that we talk about the gospel being good news. How can it be good news unless the world is first full of bad news? So without being gloomy and negative all the time, we've got to have our eyes open and our minds set in a realistic place. Yeah, yeah, the world is full of hardship. This is a reality that sometimes college kids have their eyes open to, and it it drives them away from the faith. The world's full of bad things. How can I believe in a good God? But it's because of the corruption that's present in the world. But take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. So if you're with me, you're gonna overcome that world. The fact that the world is corrupted, but Jesus is the antidote. Is there a reason to give thanks in that? Yeah, there is. Number two. When we are weak, we feel our real need. And then when that need is met, we're more thankful than ever. So sometimes need and weakness and lack is not a bad thing because it makes us conscious of the things that we're truly thankful for and what we really, really need. And the truth is, just by virtue of you and I being alive, human beings we have more than we are on, often consciously aware of. One example is the air. You know that when God created the, the world and he surrounded us by this protective layer called the atmosphere and the air on the earth is uniquely suited with the right mixture of gases that you and I can breathe to survive. Did you know that? nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and then the remainder 1% is just a little bit of argon and carbon dioxide and neon and helium. And when you get from that 21% oxygen level, if you go up in elevation and it drops down below 19.5%, you're going to become physically affected. If it drops below 6%, you'll die. You can't breathe that air. Now, how many of us got up in the morning this morning and went, I can still breathe the air. Thank you, God. (laughs) Probably not many of us, but we probably should. Because if God were to withdraw that, like if God got up some morning and he just, I'll play a joke on him. Let's just throw 45% argon in there today, right? We'd be doomed. That'd be it. And so we should be thankful to God even for those little things. And body processes, you know, your body is, is set with a normal temperature range. And if you Go to the doctor, and you're between 97 and 99. They say, oh, you're fine. But you get much above 99, they say you have a fever. That's a problem. And you drop too low, you have hypothermia. That's a problem. But what's happening in your body when you sweat because you've got a fever or you shiver because you're really, really cold, that's your body's automatic response, saying something's not wrong, but God's built in a mechanism inside of you to try to make it right again. You're sweating because you're trying to get rid of that heat cool yourself down. You're shivering because your body says, you got to move. you got to generate some heat and bring yourself up. And God built those things in. You didn't ask for them. You don't have to turn them on. When you're sick and your body temperature goes up, you don't have to flip a switch behind you and go, okay, start sweating now so I can cool myself down. God did that for you. And we should be thankful to God for those things. The same with our heart beating. How many of you consciously cause your heart to beat? That's not a thing. How many of you consciously make yourself breathe when you're sleeping at night or worry about stop breathing? We don't worry about that. So just the very gift of life in a body itself, see, is a gift from God. But now on top of all those things that you have, we also have this. I want you to think back to the last time that you felt really weak. last time you were really vulnerable. The last time you were acutely in need of something. And then, if you're not still in that season, you've moved beyond it, what was it that came into your life that met that need? And how thankful were, f- were you for that thing when it came into your life? And then the question is, are you thankful to the degree for that thing today that you were when it first came into your life? I'll give you an example. In 2005, when I moved to California, I had no plan. I just knew I wanted to live in California and I wanted to be somewhere near the beach. So I literally took out the Atlas because we had those back in those days and I put my finger on Oceanside. It's by the side of the ocean. That sounds really pretty. That's where I want to be. That's it. I had no job. I needed a job. Came down and hung out, you know, went to the beach every day for a month because it was late summer. It was awesome. And then I realized I should probably need money. It kind of comes in handy down here. So I pro- should probably get a job. I had no friends. And, and so one day I'm walking uh, down the street in downtown Oceanside. And this is when Willie Register, our high school pastor, was working at Grace Chapel of the Coast right on Freeman Street near, near Mission there. And walking down the street and I met Willie and told him I had a youth ministry background. And he did youth ministry and we became friends. Willie was my first friend in California. And we've been friends for 13 years. Lucky me. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was so grateful to make a friend who, who got me, who understood me, who supported me, someone I could just, I lived like two blocks away. I could go down and drop in, visit him anytime. He would drop anything, have lunch with me. Willie was a great friend to me. I was so grateful inside and so thankful inside for him. Willie is still my friend. Am I still thankful every day that Willie's in my life? Sorry, Willie because I know every day I come back he's going to be here and the next day he's going to be here. So see, over time we start to take for granted those things that when they first came into our life we were intensely grateful for. So being weak, having a lack, having a need makes us actually more thankful when we get that need met. And Paul kind of describes this in this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. That's the passage where he's talking about how he was given a thorn in his flesh, some sort of ailment, some sort of limitation by God, and he begs God, take this thorn away from me. God says, I I won't do it. Jesus' answer to him is, my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. All you need is a grace-based relationship with you because my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. In your weakness, Christ is made strong. And you can boast about your weaknesses because the weaker you are, the stronger Christ is allowed to become. Is that a reason to give thanks? Yeah, it is. And that points us towards the third thing. That outside of time, you are still you. Outside of time, you are still you. So so all the rotten conditions that can happen to us in the course of the human life, death, sickness, loneliness, divorce, drug addiction, job loss, all those things are human circumstances that we might encounter. But as Christians, we believe there's another circumstance that needs to be kept in mind. And that is this but there's a part of you that can transcend time and connect in an eternal way to God so that even if all this earth goes away, time goes away, you're still there. You're still you, connected with God. That's good news. Psalm 30 puts it this way. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths, and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called you for help, and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down into the pit. So here's the picture. God is in heaven, doing his God thing, and he could remain distant from us, but he he chose to step into time, not because of any merit that you and I had, but out of his great love for us, and he extended the hand down, and he said, you're stuck, Let me help you. And even today, if you feel stuck, if you're here this morning and you feel like you're in the pit, just know that you can look up and God is reaching his hand down to you. And if you grab it and hold on and believe, he will rescue you. Will you grab that lifeline? There's thankfulness in that. That's a possibility. And, And then number four, not only can we be thankful for the prospect of our own faith, that we can relate to God through faith. We can also give thanks for the, f- for the faith of other people. This is actually all over the New Testament. If you read the beginnings of Paul's letters, which we often skip over because we want to get to the instruction part. What do I do? But you read the preambles of Paul's letters, chapter one, and again and again and again, he will say, I give thanks to God for you. Why? Because of your faith. Let's look at an example of that in Colossians, one of Paul's letters. If you've got a Bible, open up there to Colossians chapter one. I want you to see how Paul gives thanks and why he's giving thanks for the faith of these people. So after Ephesians, after Philippians, you'll hit Colossians, and if you hit first or second Thessalonians, you've gone too far. But Colossians chapter one, right after he gives his greeting, start at verse three. Paul says, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Paul is so excited for them. So excited. He says, You believed. And then that belief got planted like a seed. And then the seed got watered and it came up and became this beautiful plant and it bared all this good fruit of love. And he says, That happened not only in your Community, so this little grove of trees over here, he said it's spreading through the whole world and becoming a forest of fruit bearing trees, which is what we are as the collected church around the world. We are fruit bearing trees, this giant forest overtaking the world. And Paul is excited about them, but also excited for them because they've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And the question is, can you be as excited for other people's faith as Paul was for the people of the New Testament? Because that's a big deal. It's like when you hear about a couple who's become engaged and you are overjoyed for them. Maybe you've known the, the guy for a long time, the girl for a long time, you know a little bit of their backstory, but now comes the news, they're engaged and you're just so happy. They're getting married that relationship has nothing to do with you, but you know that the future is changed forever for these two because they're going to be married. That's the excitement Paul has for people when they believe. And and lately, uh, here in America, you know, we've had two big lottery drawings. And I don't know if you saw the story about the one woman who won... $646 million or whatever. And then after taxes, it was $353 million. Did you see that story? She's 51 years old, and she lives in Iowa. And she uh, is a single mom. She raised three kids all on her own, and now she's a grandmother. And I just love these stories when that is the winner. I don't, I don't think I'd like it if a millionaire won Powerball. I'd probably be really you know, negative about that. But, but, but when somebody like that, who you can imagine... Retirement was a distant dream for her. She knew she wanted to some day retire, but she was probably living paycheck to paycheck, not knowing how to make ends meet. And now she goes from this place of, of great need, and oh my goodness, she's won $353 million. And she immediately makes a half a million dollar donation to this veterans organization. She sets up a charity, nonprofit that she's going to run on her own. Weren't you happy for her? I was happy for somebody like that to win the jackpot. Absolutely. Well, now as Christians, we know that money doesn't buy eternal security. But the hope comes from having Jesus. So all around the world, don't think world over there, world right here in our neighborhoods, the places that we inhabit every day, there are people who have a spiritual need. They are spiritually poor. And in Colossians, Paul describes that God the Father qualifies these people on the basis of their belief to a share of the inheritance. When they have the inheritance, the anxiety is gone. The worry is gone. The future is assured. The hope is in place. And so that's how we ought to think about the faith of other people around the world. That's how we ought to think about the people who will receive these shoeboxes that we've been collecting over the past few weekends. Operation Christmas Child... And somebody picked up this box a few weekends ago and took it out, filled it with little toy items and maybe some hygiene items inside, a toothpaste and a hairbrush and that kind of thing. But what'll happen now is we'll ship these boxes back over to, I think it's North Carolina, And they've got an organization and shipping center and they'll get them on the right plane to go to the right country. And some kid's going to open this up at Christmas time and they're going to find a fun toy and they're going to find a useful maybe hygiene item in there or a school supply. But they're also going to find a gospel tract that explains God's plan and wish for their lives. And some of them might believe. Can you be happy for their faith? The faith of a little kid, the other side of the world, who you're never going to meet, you don't know their name, I think there's a tracking thing on here so you can track where your individual box went. But, but see, that's thankfulness for the faith of other people. And so we want to pray for these boxes this morning as we do every year because this is not the end of the process. It is for us, but it's just the beginning of the process for what might be accomplished because somebody took the time to pack a shoe box. So let's pray for these boxes right now. Lord, as we prayed at the last service, there were a couple hundred boxes up here. And now... My gosh, it looks like about 500, and we'll probably get even more. And so we thank you for the generous hands who spent the time and the money and the care to fill these with items that are useful to kids overseas. We pray that kids will be blessed by every toy, every school supply, every bit of hygiene item. But then we also pray, Lord, that as they open that box, they'll encounter the truth. They'll see who they really are, and they'll see who you are. And they'll see that you're a God who loves them, who wants in their life. And we pray that they'll let you in. And then we pray that that seed will take root and it will grow and it will flower into a beautiful plant bearing the, the fruit of love. And the forest will continue to spread all over the world. And Lord, we don't know these kids' names and we don't know their faces, but, but we pray that they would believe. And we give thanks to you that some of them will believe and their lives will be changed forever because somebody took the time and the care to pack a shoebox. So we commit these boxes to you, Lord, as they make their journey across the country and then around the world. We pray for good spiritual fruit. Let it be, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The final thought, thought number five, about thankfulness in the midst of hard circumstances is this. Giving thanks will actually make me better. It'll actually make me better. 1 John That if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you become born of God. It's a biblical process uh, that they describe as adoption. And now you're not what you were before, you're something different. So that to love God is to obey his commands, but his commands are not burdensome. His commands would be burdensome apart from him. Then they'd just be rules. They'd just be conditions that we have to follow, just things that we need to measure up to. But see, when you are born of God and you've got this this unity with him, he lives inside of you, you live inside of him. His commands are not burdensome because the command of a parent to a child is different than the command from a police officer to a citizen or a judge to a defendant. It's different than that. I'm gonna show you an example as we put up this picture of my kids again. So at my house right now, we do a lot of tummy time. You put the baby down on their tummy. And some babies love it. My daughter loves being on her tummy, prefers it to her back, and my son hates it. Because the poor little guy, his head is so big and so heavy, and his little arms are so weak, he just can't hold himself up. So you can see here in the middle picture, Blakely, it's like she's saying to him, come on, Grayson, plank with me, it's really fun. And then in the end one, he's just like, I can't do it. I can't. It's too hard. And he'll cry and we'll say, you can do it, Grayson, you can do it. And he'll cry. And then eventually we'll pick him up. But then a few hours later, back down on the tummy again. What kind of mean idiot parents are we? (laughs) No, we put him on his tummy because it's good for him. He needs to be on his tummy he needs to develop those skills that strengthen his neck, the strength in his arms, because that's the skill that he needs to get him to crawling. And he needs to improve his balance so eventually he can stand up and toddle on his legs and, and balance and walk. And so it's all good for him. We make him do it. He would prefer not to. But we make him do tummy time, and we say, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, because he needs to get there. Well, the same thing with thankfulness. You need to be thankful Thankfulness is good for you, and you can do it. His commands are not burdensome because Christ lives in you, you live in Christ, and He will see you through. With young children, you know, sometimes uh, they're not nice to each other because they don't know how to get along. And so, like two, three year olds, sometimes they'll hurt their playmate, uh, and, and then you say, You should say you're sorry. And they say, no, I don't want to. And so then as a parent, you step in and you say, no, no, you you will say you're sorry. Because apologizing and the other person receiving your apology and offering forgiveness, that's the grease that makes human relationships work. You can't have relationships without that. And little kids don't know that. So as a parent, you insist that they learn that skill. And that command is not burdensome because it's actually good for them. So when we read 1 Corinthians 5.18, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. It's not a biblical command that we say, okay, God, I don't want to, but I'll just suck it up and do it. It's not that. It's God, and it's the great cloud of witnesses that Nick describes so well in his message last weekend, all in heaven, looking down and cheering us on and saying, you can do this. You can do it, and it's good for you. So I want to close now with seven ideas for things that you can implement to be thankful, even when life's circumstances are not great. These are on the top of the backside of the sermon outline, so you can take them with you. But seven ideas for expressing thankfulness beyond circumstances. Number one is to remember and remind yourself that God is God. And as God, he's an active God. He's a working God. He's not an inert God. He's not a dead God. He's a there God who's getting his hands busy and dirty. And he's a God who works for the good of those who love him, have been called according to his purposes, Romans 8.28. So you can believe that when you pray, when you call out to God, God has your best in mind. The last time I preached, I told a lot of stories about my kids, and I said, you know, God is like a father, and one of the ways is that sometimes when we call out to God, he doesn't answer right away, or he doesn't answer in the way that we want to. But maybe it's like how a parent, when a baby cries, a parent goes to the kitchen and prepares the bottle and then brings it back and gives it to the baby because that's being the baby's real need. Okay, so after that message, somebody emailed me this. She put this sticky note up on her microwave. It says, be still and know God is working on it. He's at the microwave. It's a little adaptation of Psalm 46, but it works. Be still and know God is working on it. He's at the microwave. I love that. Number 2, at the same time that you remind yourself that God is God and he's an active God, you got to remind yourself often that God is good. God is good because when we see the messiness of life, sometimes we can get taken off track. And we can get thrown and it begins to derail our faith, but we just have to preach to our own hearts and souls almost daily. Oh, God is good. God is good. So God is good. I thought this was an audience of evangelicals. What's wrong with you? Come on. So God is good. All and all the time. That's it. And you just over and over and over, you remind yourself of that. And then number three, you want to th- Thank God for this day, which has become something of a prayer cliche, I guess, because we don't know how else to begin our prayers. It's like, dear God, thank you for this day. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, but what's the meaning behind the words that you're saying? Are you really expressing what's in your heart? Are you really thankful for this day right here? Because you might not get another day. You don't know what tomorrow holds. Tomorrow might be significantly harder or different than this day. So, you get up in the morning and you thank God for this day because the Bible says every morning God's mercies are new. And that points us towards number four. Be thankful to God that He shows favor to you and not wrath. Even if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, even if you're not a Christian, you realize that you live in a world where God has extended favor towards you and He could extend wrath. He could do that because He's God. But that would be an awful thing. Instead, God deals with each of us on the basis of grace, on the basis of showing you continued favor. And you have that favor today as you sit here right now. I don't know if your life circumstances are really, really difficult, but I can tell you, even in the midst of those difficult circumstances, you are sitting in a place of God's grace, right in that chair where you are today. So thank him for that. Number five, as we talked about with the boxes, thank him for the faith of others. Keep in mind that these are people who have been brought from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, which is what happened to you if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, it's a possibility for you. It's out there. God's extending his hand. He says, I want to rescue you from the kingdom of darkness and bring you to the kingdom of light. And you can have that. Thank him for that. Number six, examine yourself. What is it that you're taking for granted? Maybe when it came into your life, you were super thankful for it, and now you just Forget or overlook expressing thankfulness for that. Be thankful for those things. And seventh, and finally, when it comes to thankfulness, don't confuse form and function, because we often do that. We often get wrapped up, especially at the Thanksgiving holiday, in making it just look or taste a certain way. It's got to start at exactly this time. And, and And we miss the heart of it, which is thankfulness itself. The act is thankfulness. It's not eating. The act is thankfulness. It's not setting the table a certain way or decorating the house a certain way. The act is thankfulness. It can be at home. It can be away. It can be here at the church on Thanksgiving Day. But we've all probably seen this this painting of the first Thanksgiving with Betty Crocker in the middle there serving biscuits to the Native Americans. It's almost certainly this is incorrect false. Uh, that Indian tribe didn't wear feathers in their head. And there's a number of things wrong and false about that picture. But, but this is what's often in our minds when we go to celebrate Thanksgiving is the form. What's it going to look like? When in fact the content of it is not just on the fourth Thursday of November, it's all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And it's good for you. And we should desire the things of God that are good for us. Let's pray. Lord, I want to begin by lifting up to you the people in our church who are hurting. We do, this message is not meant to minimize hurt or heartache or suffering during this holiday season. But we recognize that in the midst of hard circumstances, the Bible says we should be thankful. And and how can that be? I think it's only through you, God. I think you need to change us from the inside out and make us different people that we could possibly give thanks, even when life is hard. We pray, Lord, that you'd open our eyes, whether life is on a high right now or life is in the pit, in the low, you'd open our eyes the things that we ought to be thankful for that we don't even think about being thankful for. And let that be what drives our Thanksgiving celebration this year. Not the perfect recipe, not the outcome of the football game on Thursday. But we want to be people with genuine hearts of gratitude. And as Paul writes in Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So, Lord, bring your glory. We want your glory. And make us thankful people. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.